0: up y'all and welcome back to found bites a game review series my name is brian i'll be your host if you don't know about us we're all about testing out and finding small high quality video games this is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources but enough about the show let's get into our next game Dandera is the game for this week's episode, so let's jump right into some release dates. Initially it was released in February of 2018 for Android, iOS, Linux, Mac, PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One, so a nice one-shot there. It was developed by a studio called Long Hat House. Uh, which is actually two guys, so it's a small studio, uh, and they're uh, from Brazil. More on that a little bit later because there is some significance there. Uh, But I did check out their website and it's a really great website. They have a lot of pictures. It's a very personable website. Um, And they have a nice quote that says, uh, games you would maybe want to make your granny play someday. Um, So I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, This seems to be their first major title. Before this, they've done uh, a couple of mobile games. The publisher was Raw Fury, uh, and they are a Swedish publisher, and they published a lot of indie games, some of which that we may Uh, cover on this show at some point, like West of Dead and Call of the Sea. In 2020, uh, March of 2020, uh, their DLC called Trials of Fear was released for the game. It was released for free. And from then on, when you bought the game, you bought the Trials of Fear edition, and it came with that DLC for free. So pretty cool. Always really nice when uh, a dev gives free DLC. I think that's really cool. And then fast forward to September 2020, Uh, The game actually had a physical release, but only on Switch. And this was published by, again, another one of these companies that we're talking about, like Limited Run. Uh, This company is called Super Rare Games, and they specifically, I believe, only do Switch games. Uh, So they published a regular version, just the game in the box, and a collector's edition. I bought the collector's edition, and it is awesome. This is one of the best collector's editions that I bought. It came with... Uh, a CD soundtrack, which is kind of cool, a replica necklace that she wears in the game, a nice pin, and then a bunch of stickers. It came with a deck of cards, which is pretty cool. And it also came with these special cards that have to do with items in the game. I I really like that. And then the best part of this, this came with a hardback, kind of a cross between a guidebook and a lore book and an art book. It is amazing. If you're into that, of course, like before, uh, they've all sold out. However, I have seen it on eBay for pretty reasonable prices. So if you're interested in that, you might want to check that out. So just the game, the original MSRP, the digital, uh, was $14.99. And then the super rare editions, uh, so just the main game was, the physical game was $35. Uh, it's U.S. equivalent because I think they're uh, either European or maybe a Canadian company. But the collector's edition was $100. So it might be a little steep for some people, other people that might be uh, right up your alley. I am really happy with this, um, and I mentioned uh, checking it out on eBay because I did see some uh, buy it nows for one twenty five, brand new. I think that's a great deal. Uh, Runtime of the game is around seven hours if you're just playing it straight through uh, the story, not doing anything extra. Um, and if you're trying to 100% the game, it could be about 12 hours. Just a point about that, um, when I'm talking about runtimes, I'm actually using a site called HowLongToBeat.com. For the PlayStation community, this game does have a platinum trophy, but I found it to be very tough. I looked at some of these trophies. Um, one of the trophies is to beat the game in under two hours, and then there's one that says Beat our time, meaning the developers, and they beat it in, I think, an hour and 17, which is insane. Me, personally, I got this game on sale. I paid $5.99 for this game. An absolute steal. I played it on PS4. I beat it on PS4. I put a little more than eight hours into my first playthrough. I was gonna go back and try to clean up some of the trophies, but I think it would require another playthrough. I did start it again for this podcast to see how the beginning of the game Uh, a little refresher there. What drew me to the game, I really liked the unique gameplay, which we'll talk about in a little bit. No one really recommended this game. The other thing that really got me is I looked at the name and it was Dandera. I didn't know what that meant. I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool name. And also I saw the picture of the character, uh, this woman with this long yellow scarf and this Dope afro. She looks super boss. And she had this, like, you know, real strong look on her face. Like, oh man, this, she's, she looks like a total badass. Um, so that's what really drew me to the game. And then I looked up the name, and there's a lot of significance for this name, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit. I did not play the DLC yet. I have read that it's supposed to incorporate very well with the game, almost seamlessly. When I beat it, I, the DLC was not out yet. So maybe I'll go back at, at some point uh, and check out that DLC. All right, let's talk some gameplay for Dandera. So this game is a Metroidvania 2D platformer, like we've seen before, but a big emphasis on a platformer and a very unique emphasis. I gotta say in terms of straight gameplay, this is one of the most unique things I've ever seen in a game. So let's jump right into it. So the basic thing that we're looking at that's so unique is the traversal in the game. And when I say traversal, I mean that in sort of the micro sense. So how your character is actually moving you are not walking you are not running you are not moving the joystick side to side to move your character you are only jumping if I'm looking at the screen there'll be a platform that your character is standing on and then there will probably be a platform above your character which you might uh, perceive as the ceiling however that is not the case On these flat spaces, you will see white sections. It almost looks like they're frosted over, but they're only in small sections. And a white section dictates an area that you can jump to. And as your character is sitting there, you see what kind of looks like a half circle and almost like a compass needle that's pointing a straight line. And that is what is going to move if you move the joystick. And what it's doing is it's aiming for the next spot for your character to jump to. And it's very precise. And I gotta say, it's really well done. Uh, So if you just move your joystick from, let's say, the left all the way around the top to the right you'll see the cursor do that as well and i'm sure it's a lot easier with a a mouse on pc but i don't know for certain what is very interesting and you might think this seems ridiculous and i certainly did at first but it is very responsive and it is very meticulous on its memory so for example if i jump If my character is sitting there and I point the cursor uh, to the top right at, let's say, a 45 degree angle and I jump to the next spot and I leave my finger on the joystick exactly where it was, the cursor is actually going to be uh, predicting your next jump. And it's going to stay at that position at that same angle, but at the next platform down at a 45 degree angle. I know this seems very mathematical and meticulous, but the feel of this is so comfortable. It's so accurate. Um, and it's, it's really well done for something so unique for them to do it so well. I, I just found it to be really, really fantastic. And like I said, it's very intuitive. Like when you're holding the joystick and you're pointing at an angle and you jump, if you just keep jumping and there's a platform there and there's nothing in your way, no enemies or anything like that you can actually jump very quickly. And this gameplay actually turns out to be so kinetic, um, especially with the enemy design. So I, the other thing is it's not overly sensitive, which is good. And if you were to jump at that angle and then take your your finger off the joystick or I guess not move the mouse, again, I don't know what it's like on PC, um, it'll kind of reset. So if you keep it where it is, it'll stay at your original, I guess, origin position of where you think your finger is, okay? So that's where I think this is very advanced. It's really not janky, it's not jittery, it doesn't mess you up at all. I think it's, again, very, very smooth and very well-crafted. And that sort of fast-paced jumping and the kinetics of it, it really fits with enemy design, uh, as well as enemy projectiles, because they will shoot at you, but then if you jump, they will actually pivot. Um, and it really puts this idea of what gravity is because you're going to be on the ceiling on the floor on the ceiling on the floor constantly so there is no jumping in the sense of gravity it's just like to my next platform and that really makes some of the room and the room designs really crazy and even depending on when you come in or what door to a room you're coming in it'll actually reorient the room based on how you are coming in, so your orientation. Now, when you are jumping between platforms or between the ceiling and the floor or whatnot, um, if you happen to get hit by an enemy, uh, this is what's interesting is that you'll actually stay in the middle, not on a platform, and you'll just kind of float there. And I think you have a certain amount of time to get back to a platform, or you I think you start to lose health. As you're jumping, uh, X is the normal jump button, at least on PlayStation. Um, that's also the button to interact with objects, so this is something that you just need to be aware of. If you're right next to something or in front of something that you're going to interact with, a prompt for the button will actually pop up, so it, it shouldn't be too confusing when you're going to jump and when you're going to interact with something. Uh, you just kind of have to pay attention and maybe take your hand off the joystick. In terms of accessibility and difficulty, um, so you can, in the pause menu, you can check a box to add extra flags, which are kind of like checkpoints. Uh, that you go back to when you die. And there is a cheat mode that will give you unlimited energy uh, and instant revival. But it says specifically, use cheat mode if you really just want to get through the game. This is not designed for, like the game is not designed to be played in cheat mode. And in the beginning of the game, and I think this is new for the Trials of Fear DLC, you can choose to click like specific challenges, uh, like doubling enemy uh, damage or stuff like that. Um, And I think that just makes the game a little more interesting um, if you're somebody who's in for those like challenge runs or stuff like that. In terms of enemies and hazards, it's also very well crafted with the gameplay in mind. So very unique design. You have enemies that are walking on the ceiling, walking on the floor. And like I said, their uh, projectiles are very interesting. Um, Some of the hazards are enemies, And they're kind of like environmental hazards that can hurt you if you don't be mindful of what they're doing or or how they're blocking your path. So, for example, um, in the very beginning of the game, it's very simple. Like some rooms will have like a ceiling and a floor and then sort of a box in the middle that you can go around. And then there'll be spikes that are coming up and like circling around and going across the platforms and like coming back around. So... You have to time your jumps very specifically. And some of the enemies actually block your path. Uh, Very early on, there's a cool thing where like these giant uh, pots come up like made of bricks and they have a hole in them and the holes can have enemies in them that are just sitting there kind of waiting for you. And in order to get rid of the obstruction to your path, you have to kill the enemies that are in pots in the sequence. And sometimes they're in specific places, sometimes they are uh, moving, kind of like a -a whack-a-mole type thing. Uh, So it can be very interesting. I found the enemy variation throughout the entire game to be very, very good. A lot of unique enemies... Some are evolution of old enemies, but I don't think that anything got really stale. I think there's a lot of fresh design. When you kill an enemy, you will get the currency, which is salt. So when you kill an enemy, you will get that as currency, and you can use that for upgrades at, at camps, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, You can also break, like, boxes in the scenery to get salt, which is kind of cool. When you die, your salt will be left where you died, and you can go back and retrieve it, so it's very souls-like in that way. To attack enemies, uh, there are some pretty cool things. So your basic attack is something that you have to charge, and it only takes about a second or two, but it makes it interesting. It makes it um, a bit more challenging to think out how you you plan your attack on enemies. Uh, And when you shoot it, it shoots, like, three shots almost like a shotgun spread, and it has a certain distance that it goes. And that's interesting because if you have to, for like an environmental hazard, if you have to kill two enemies or three enemies in order to unlock stuff, they're like timed. So you'll have to kill the first enemy and then hurry up and go kill the second. And then so you really have to get used to the weapon attack, its range, and the movement in the game. And this can make it very interesting. I I like this challenge. I think it's very well done especially early on i don't think it's too tough but it's really trying to train you and get you used to the kinetics of the movement and coupling that with the basic attack i don't think this is that great of an attack and i think that's supplemented by some of the special weapons that you get and they have a really great variety Uh, like a simple one is just a missile that really blows up things uh, and it moves very fast so if you're in a pinch and you need to you know fire off a couple missiles that's pretty cool and then you get some more advanced ones like a bouncing projectile, projectile that'll kill a bunch of enemies. The attacking is very well balanced in this game. And again, I just can't give this game enough credit for its unique gameplay. Some other goodies as you're traversing. Chests that have items. Some are like health items or, or items for your energy. Some will have special key items. In terms of the macro traversal, you will be finding a lot of story NPCs, and you'll talk to them, and they'll give you some special items which allow you to access certain things. This is kind of where the the Metroidvania aspect comes in. Fair amount of bosses, which have very cool design. And then you get to camps and flags. Flags are like checkpoints, and camps are like where you'd rest to reset your health and... Again, a Dark Souls comparison, a Souls-like comparison. When you rest at a camp, all the enemies reset. The fast travel and the map. This is super frustrating. This is where the game does not shine in my opinion. So the map in general is your typical Metroidvania map. There's a lot of empty blocks and you'll see if there's a door or if there's an extra way to go in a certain room. What is very frustrating is that it does not show you exactly in the room where you are. And that can be frustrating, especially because like I said before, depending on what door you go in a room, it might actually orient it differently on the screen and it can get confusing. Where this gets frustrating with fast travel, camps are places to fast travel to and from. When you eventually get fast travel and you go to the fast travel menu, it only tells you the name of the different camps and it doesn't bring the map up when you're looking at the fast travel screen. It just gets very frustrating because if you're late game and you want to go back to a certain place and you remember what it was called but you don't remember what the physical room looked like or like if i wanted to go back to a spot it took me like four tries at different camps to see if i'm getting the right one and so i think it's just a little clunky there and that can also be frustrating if you're like trophy hunting and and i think this is one of the reasons that it makes the platinum trophy very difficult you know you're going to spend 10 minutes just trying to find out where exactly on the map you are choosing to go. And even if you look up a guide for something, it says, like, go to this area, or if you're looking at a map online, it just, it it gets very, very frustrating, Uh, especially if you're trying to backtrack and find uh, items that you can now uh, get or areas you can access, or even go to the optional areas. Um, It can be confusing, because you might see on the map, hey, I wanna go there, there's an extension there, but it might take you 10 minutes just to figure out where exactly that is. talk about the vibe of this game we'll start with the visuals uh so the character and pretty much the whole game is i think either eight or maybe 16 bit it's very pixelated but mainly the figures dandera and the enemy figures are a bit pixelated npcs are very interesting some of them are very large or or very differently shaped and not pixelated and rendered more it's really interesting because i've I think it helps to show that they're very unique. I I think it's very cool, like going up to this giant character and it's like, oh, hey, we're friends. And, you know, the scale, it kind of makes it just super interesting. Uh, Also, there are these kind of cut scenes with Dandera in sort of a, you know, a more rendered but still pixelated. Uh, version so you can see her eyes and and you know her hair and her face more clearly anything that is on the quote-unquote platforms or sort of in the in the foreground like where you're jumping to is also kind of pixelated but i find it interesting because in the background it's a little more rendered it's very interestingly illustrated shows some interesting depth and distance like it'll you know, have statues that are in a line, but progressively further away and off a little bit to the side. And it really gives some volume to, to the background in the game. It makes you feel like there's, you know, these large areas, these cavernous areas. Interesting use of color and shading. I also really like is the illustrations in the background really match the area, whether it's the name of the area or the music in the area. And that's a good transition into the music. I love the music in this game certainly a common theme with the games that we've re- we've reviewed so far, but very unique, interesting uh, woodwinds and flutes, and it can be whimsical at times in certain areas where you're discovering or seeing things, and, and even when you're in a boss battle, it really just captures the area so well. And this music was composed by a guy named uh, Tomas Kaufman, who's also from Brazil. Again, another interesting connection, and we'll kind of wrap that up in a, in a second here. But what's interesting about this incorporation of the music with the areas, and sometimes it's whimsical and and sort of uh, elegant, and other times it's strong and and forceful. I think this really embodies this character so well, and sort of the contrast in her, the character Dandera. when you look at her in the beginning and and on the the main screen she is tough she's got this real strong stern look on her face and she has such elegance and dexterity i mean when obviously the the idea of the jumping is is so elegant but just little things like when you go through a door she jumps up and does a backflip and you she goes in head first and it's so elegant and she has this fleet of foot about her she is she's so complex and she has this dichotomy of being strong yet elegant and dexterous i i think it's just it's just so well rendered visually it's well rendered with the environments and the music i just think there's such an incorporation here between the visuals, the audio, the gameplay that I don't see in many games, so I, I really have to tip, tip my hat to them here. And the last thing that's sort of capturing the vibe here is the character Dandera. When I first looked at this game, I thought the name was interesting, so I did look it up. And it turns out Dandera is actually an, an historical figure. She was an Afro-Brazilian warrior during... Brazil's colonial period uh, when there was a lot of enslavement going on and she helped free an entire settlement from enslavement um, and and got people to um, you know be liberated her story seems a bit more legendary and kind of like a folk hero uh, there's a lot of mystery behind her life at least what I could find. Um, but I would imagine that, you know, these developers they're Brazilian, they may know this character this folklore, maybe this was a story that they were told, you know, when they were growing up, like a bedtime story of, you know Dandera, the the warrior I just, I, I love that I love bringing out this cultural figure that no one really knows about and um, exemplifying it in the game and it does actually tie in a lot of things uh, loosely I feel, I don't think that there's you know, at least from what I see, I don't there was not a lot of information I could find about it, about her, but things like, uh, you know, fighting oppression, and there's a general and there's an army and all this stuff, and that's constantly talked about in the game. Um, freeing the lands from army rule is talked about a lot. Um, music and art, very interesting, especially with NPCs. Um, music and art are referenced as being like discarded by the army, and that's something that's so interesting. Um, because you know when a culture is oppressed like the art and music are so intertwined with culture and I could see how someone who's oppressing them might take that away Um, so the idea that they have to be freed was just so interesting to me so this incorporation of this historical figure really made me want to dive in more with this game and and kind of check out what what they were trying to tell what story they were trying to tell All right, let's wrap up the conversation about Dandera. I gotta say, overall, this is a great experience for a game. Uh, the story is interesting. It's a bit ambiguous, not too involved, but a lot of key words uh, that kind of point to this historical figure and things that may be parallels or interesting links to things that happened in history. Uh, the music and the ambiance is just so fantastic. This, The gameplay in this game, I, I can't say it enough, is so unique and everything is so well sewn together uh, from a standpoint of music, gameplay, visuals, and lore, and the accessibility options. I think that there's a lot of customization if you're not well-versed in Metroidvanias. I don't think anyone is gonna be well-versed in this game. I think it does a a good job of kind of scaffolding. And then, of course, the pitfalls of of the Metroidvania, uh, the things that I think are the most frustrating, the map, the fast travel, backtracking, trying to go for trophies in this game is so tough, I feel. Uh, but despite all of that, such a worthwhile experience. If you can find this under $10, absolutely buy it. I certainly think it's worth 15 the regular price. But uh, I'll kind of leave that up to you and your uh, genre preferences. Uh, I know my brother did play this per my recommendation, and he beat it, and he loved it. Um, so there's two recommendations for you. That will wrap up this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.